there she is. There's the fish right there. <laughs> oh, man. Not quite as garbage as the woman in Smithereens, but let me tell you, she's pretty close. She might make Kevin Costner a sandwich. I'm not sure, though. folks and welcome to another episode of the Cinema Beef Podcast. Uh, we are sans Jamie tonight because Jamie's uh, internet is wonky, but with me tonight is the lovely Iris. How are you? Hello, hello. How are you? Fine, fine. It's getting warmer, so I'm getting sadder uh, <laughs> in my old age. <laughs> I don't like the sweat, you know, fat, that, that's a... Uh, <laughs> But that's something that fat guys don't like to do. Fat, hairy guys are, are big old sweat mongers. And I sweat everywhere, even on my feet. <laughs> my feet sweat. It's awful. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm not looking forward to, to, to summer, which is which is inevitably, inevitably coming. <laughs> also with us tonight is Suzanne. How are you? I'm good. I, I am on the opposite end of the spectrum. I am very much looking forward to summer. And spending time outside on my awesome deck furniture and my awesome grill and taking the TV outside and watching games. I love summer. And I, yes, I am a sweaty beast, too. But you know what? Eh, I don't care. See, people get, the, people get the illusion that I'm a social person because I do podcasts. That's not the case. I just like a handful of people, and most of them are on this podcast. And, uh... <laughs> There you go. Just just a handful. And that's all you really do when it comes down to it. <laughs> less friends, less drama. A lot of folks haven't learned that yet, you know. Amen. Yeah, I know. I, I've i got a group of friends, and it is just drama, 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 drama. And that's when I literally tune them out and start playing crossword puzzles on my phone. <laughs> well, you'd be rude then, see? That's, come on now. You're, you're, you're never that girl. No, I am that person. It's like, okay, you bitches are being just crazy. I'm gonna do a crossword puzzle on my phone. Man, oh man! But uh, yes, I, I am that person. That's okay. We'll uh, we'll start this the, the show the same way we always do every show, and I'll ask uh, Iris what she's been watching lately. Um, let's see. Well, we watched uh, Case Thirty Nine uh, the other day, and it was a first time watch for my parents and. My mom, she's so funny when she watches like some scary stuff. Mm-hmm. She she like gets really wound up. Like she was watching uh, the murders at the at the Manchester morgue with her blankie over her face. Yeah. It was just too much, and I'm like, what? The Manchester morgue, really? Yes, yes. Oh and god, then... I could never get my mom to watch that. 
And then we were watching, and, and of course, Case 39. And I wanted to show them Case 39 because they've seen Renee Zellweger, Zellweger as just, you know, that cutesy little rom-com girl. And I'm like, oh, no, no, she's got good chops. Let me show you this movie. Uh, this is the one about the social worker that goes to try to yes. save the d- demonic kid who's she doesn't yes. know who's demonic. Exactly. They put the they put Mom, the kid they put the okay, kid the oven I need to see this. I didn't watch it because Renee was in it. No, no, no. You should watch it because Renee is in it. <laughs> I saw I saw this in the theater and I I wasn't overly over the moon for it, so I didn't really, really go back to it. But um. Because I, I think, no. I, if I remember correctly, it had one of those endings that was really annoying. And that that, yeah, was, it that was, all sucked me right out of a movie right there. It was. It was like one of those, like, oh, Because it had such potential to be something else at the end, and it didn't. It, it teetered <gasps> out pretty bad, I remember. That's why I never went back to it. Yeah. But just to watch Renee Zellweger kind of, like, slog through a thriller was kind of fun to watch. <laughs> And I showed it to my parents, and I'm like, "See, she—that's not the only stuff that she does." And she was like, "Mom was all," ah. so it was kind of funny. T- tomorrow, and then tomorrow, we'll watch Texas Chainsaw: The Next Generation. You know, <laughs> right, right. I'm still trying to get her to watch The Exorcist again. She saw it once uh, back when it when it came out. That was the last time she ever watched it. <laughs> so I'm trying to get her to watch it again. Um, and then, of course, I watched um, Soylent Green, which they loved also, and um, Survive, which is, you know, the Andes movie. Well, just basically the stuff that I did for Theme Warriors. Yep. Um, parents. Parents. I, that was the first time watched parents for me. Is excellent. Loved it. That movie really, really <laughs> fucked me up. <laughs> and uh, Cannibal Musical. I had never seen that either. And that was freaking funny. Great? I loved it. I loved it. And then um, let's see what else did I watch. And then I was just watching um, just the regular shows that I watch, like, you know, the travesty that is married at first sight and things like that. But yeah, <laughs> uh, that's my stuff. That's my stuff. <laughs> Suzanne, what's your stuff? Oh, my stuff. Well, I dove in and watched the first two Hellraisers, which are, I think they're great companion nice. pieces. But I just, I've, I found that I have issues with two. I do, I do too. I hate the fact that Pinhead so easily gets bumped off. That is not right. Oh, and he, okay. And how does the doctor become the the head of the labyrinth? Right. That's another and, thing. Well, how does okay, that happen? This, yeah. And my big thing, and it was it drove me insane. How is it that when Frank had to steal his brother's skin, but Julia got her own skin? Right. Julia got her own skin, but it was easily taken off. <laughs> yeah. But I don't understand how that leap was made and how Julia got to come back. That's I mean, I know that's the basis of the story, but these are the lingering questions that I had after I watched it. It happens, I haven't... It happens on the end of the, at the end of the first one. You see her with the box on the bloody mattress and she's trying to do the thing and she's all hooked to get hooked in literally with the oh. chains and. I know. No, I get that. Did... I get that. But I, I get what what um, Suzanne yeah, is the, saying. The skin thing, yeah. Because it's confusing. Yeah. Uh, how did she get her own skin back, or is it just because she's a, a girl, or was she just that evil that I don't know? But it's yeah. I know. It bugs me. There's Wait the... a minute. But wasn't she sucking 
the doctor was taking dudes to her so she could suck them dry, and and that's yeah. how she was yeah, getting her like flesh the, back. It's like the original one, but she he never. But got, yeah, but they never, had to steal skin to Frank. Yeah, he never got his his his, his flesh his oh, flesh flesh back. Right. Because it. he goes. Come to daddy. Yes. That's right. That's right. Okay, I get it. I see what y'all said. But yes, that doesn't make sense. Reason, no, it, it, it bugs me. Like I said, they're great companion pieces. I enjoy them both very much. I enjoy the first one just a hair more <coughs> because of all the glaring flaws that I've never really paid that much attention to before. Well, there's there's two things that um, Hellraiser does, does not have that Hellraiser has that's, that's kind of stupid. It doesn't have the stupid, pointless demon on the track that you can see the track rolling down the hallway. And it doesn't have the golden child demon at the end of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I still I still and... say, my sweet brother Noopsy, every time I see that fucking demon flying around at the end of Hellraiser, I'm like, what the, what's the point of this? I don't care. But, uh, I'm waiting for Charles Dance to show up and then Randall Tex Cobb and some little, some little, <laughs> some little uh, Tibetan boy, you know. That would be and interesting. I... Oh yeah, I finally got around to watching Mohawk because I really am a big fan of the director, and I did not like Mohawk. I wanted to like it. It's one of those movies that had certain scenes I liked, but as a whole, I did not like the movie. I the lead actress was absolutely fucking terrible. She really was, but I really liked what they got out like the soldiers and stuff. I really liked that part of the movie. I, yeah, but the actress was so terrible that it was. It, I found it really hard to pay attention to. Or have any sympathy for her. Because she's, I am with child. I'm like, are you a freaking robot? <laughs> beady, beady, beady. It, she, was, she was bad. She, she brought the movie down to the point where I couldn't stand it. I like the soldiers. I, I, part, like I said, there are scenes I enjoyed in that movie. And the other, and it's yet another one of those movies. Like, I found it to be like light supernatural. And I just... I, I don't know. It just seems like it. it a few it's, things just got lost. It's been a while since I watched it. It's like a spirit animal thing. Like she finds like her spirit animal or whatnot, and this is what comes out of her and gets her revenge on the soldiers. Is that what's going on? I I, I guess. I think like so. I said, at this point, I'm holding my eyes open, praying for it to be over. And I caught. Evil Genius on Netflix. I hear good things. Ooh, how is that? It is amazing. I wa- I started it last night and I finished it this morning. It's only four episodes, but I I just still sometimes even it's hard to believe that there are people with absolutely no conscience or fucking soul. It's I still find it incredibly hard to believe that those people actually exist, but they do. And this was just, it, it, it wasn't done in a sensational style. Like, you know, you have to admit, making of a murderer it was a little, they, they did go the sensation, sensational route with it. This one was um, just taking, it, it goes very deep into the people involved and how the media kind of played into a few things. But it was mostly about the the characters involved in the uh, robbery, and the main lady Margaret Deal uh, in her past. And this woman is literally soulless. 
you got that pretty easily into the first episode. But it's if you're into that kind of thing, it is well worth the four episodes. I plan on watching it again. That's how good it was. Cool. And caught Black Demons tonight on the NFW. Hey, how was that? It'll, I it's Umberto Lenzi. I expected a little bit more, and I didn't get it. Struck That's out. pretty much. Yeah, it just it it just didn't la- it, it lacked certain things I expect in Italian movies. So I'm just gonna leave that one there, and that's pretty much all I've been up to. Cool. Uh, one thing I had a lot of rewatches this week. I never really knew that I watched, and I rewatched season three of Rick and Morty because I got that cheap, and it's still <laughs> it's still really funny because you know Pickle Rick and stuff, you know, and Pickle uh, Rick, so good. Pickle Rick, Tiny Rick. I, I love all the forms of Rick. It's good stuff. <laughs> um. Uh, one thing I watched last last time that I didn't mention was uh, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. I watched it on Mother's Day because they had a, a deal on it on the Voodoo. And uh, that film's about 20 minutes too long. I remember liking it a lot more than I did. And uh, Rebecca DeMornay is still pretty devious in it. But at the same time, it's like she's doing all this stuff. Like, some stuff like unnecessary. Like, she put, like, the, the friend who was the former flame of the husband's lighter in the husband's pocket and... To say, hey, guess what? He may be possibly cheating on you with this friend of yours and yada, yada, yada. A little stupid shit like that. And then the thing where, you know, I, I never I never cared for Ernie Hudson's character in this movie. He plays the the mentally challenged uh, handyman in this movie. And that ending is so telegraphed, it's not even funny now. Where he just randomly shows up to save the daughter and the baby. Like, yeah, he just, he just, he just threw that part in there and... It's good. There's a lot of good stuff in it still, but I think it should have been more like 90 minutes and not almost two hours. And I think it would have been a better movie. Uh, I think uh, the Friday the 13th guys just put did that on their show with that in single white female, so check that out. If I had to pimp somebody else's show right there. Um, oh, I got a lot of rewatches. I finally cracked open that Cyborg Blu-ray, the brand new Shout Factory one. Uh, looks real good. Uh, Albert Pune uh, directed that movie and Jean-Claude's kicking and shooting people with nail guns, I think it is, like a bolt gun, and it's still, it's not a great movie, story-wise, it's kind of hard to follow, but it's got a lot of, a lot of eye candy in it, so that keeps you in it. Uh, speaking of eye candy and something Suzanne hates, I, I rewatched Roadhouse, because I got that Blu-ray, too. I don't hate Roadhouse! <laughs> <laughs> it's... Uh, I'll tell you, if, if you're on the fence about buying that Shout Select blue and you like roadhouse as much as i do uh don't don't sit don't sit on your hands because this this is the best he's ever looked this uh mr dean cundy um who did the, the dop work on this movie he uh supervised the 2k restoration for for this blu-ray and looks real sharp and it's got all the extras that you see on previous releases plus some other new goodies and I think it's still running 14 bucks on Amazon as we're recording this right now, so that's not a not a bad price if you're a big fan like, like I am. Um, just TV stuff past that, you know. There's there's certain stuff you turn on to go to sleep to. My my uh my mother's milk is Parks and, Rec- Parks and Recreation. If they ever take it off Netflix, I'd be upset because uh I just I just turn it on, I watch one, and I usually fall asleep to the next one. So that's a uh, that's something you do, and uh, I don't know what your guys' thing is for that. If it's like, hey, I need to go to sleep. What do I turn on? You know, but um, that's that's my thing, and I, I really enjoy that aspect of it. 
Now I have to read before I go to sleep. Yeah. But besides that, nothing a whole lot new. I didn't get to go to Deadpool 2 yet, and that upsets me. But maybe on, on Thursday I will go and uh, have a grand old time. And I'd, Oh, I forgot to mention, because I, I just finished watching it. Uh, another rewatch. I have all the Jurassic Parks down in 4K, and I watched the first one, and it looks spectacular. So if you guys are, again, on the fence about that, real nice. And uh, get on that. I can see the the gleam off Sam Neill's head when he's saving that little bastard's life in the Jeep, you know. <laughs> you gotta go with the way, you gotta go with the Wayback Machine to listen to the episode one of Cinema V Podcast to, to hear my feelings on the Tim character in Jurassic Park and how he should have just died would have been a better movie. And, uh... <laughs> so I've been talking about children dying since episode one, people. Yeah, you know. <laughs> You know, that candy's pretty worthless. Kill him. Kill him, kill him, kill him. You know. Um, that's about it for me. Um, next segment being the beef bitches and mashed potatoes. Okay, who gets the burly uh, beef? I ordered barbecue beef. I think that's mine, but I didn't who order fries. Who gets the barbecue beef? Mine's the Duke Deluxe. Okay, who gets the burly beef? Suzanne, what's beefing you, girl? What do you got going on? Okay, this is going to sound very, very stupid. So, uh, before Pat left for Cali, um, this there's this little microbrewery down the road from us, and they do these these events with these, you know, ultra variant beers, and you don't actually buy the tickets. The tickets are free, but it basically entitles you to get one one can or bottle per person for their tastings or for the, to, to buy. And uh, so Pat and I are like, Oh yeah, which one do you want to do? So we picked out the beer that we wanted to, that we wanted uh, the bottle of the most. And it's like, it opens at seven. I'm like, well, cool. We'll get up at six. So we get there at like quarter to seven and wouldn't have cared if it was maybe 50, hundred people, but the line was a half a mile long. So I'm like, so I've bought a ticket for the line ride, which doesn't even guarantee me a bottle of this stuff. So we ended up leaving, and at quarter to nine, I got an email saying that they were out. Like, you know what? I'm really glad I didn't take that line ride. If you're going to do something like that, sell tickets. Have people going in groups. That is fucking obnoxious. Is that stupid of me to be irritated by no, because this, hap- no. this happens at cons all the time to where they pre-sell tickets for, let's say, your, your, your big guest of the show, and then they oversell, and then that guest runs out of time, their, their contracted time to be there, and they could either, them or their handler could either be a real douchebag and stick around to fill the rest of the orders, you know, or you get the other one, like when I went to go see Jamie Lee Curtis at Horhound Weekend uh, years ago, where she stayed like four extra hours to, to, to make sure she got everybody that paid for a ticket on Saturday. And that was super generous over time, but not a lot of folks are like that. But the beer thing's different. They know how much they made. They should have known their quantity or whatnot, you know. And, and imagine that they, they had this calculated, but somebody dropped the ball on that. So there you go. Crazy. Yeah, I wasn't going to go stand. And I, we walked for like 10 minutes and the line never ended. So we're like, just thank God that we didn't pay anything for the tickets. But like I said, I thought, you know, a ticket entitles me to a beer. 
And that was just bullshit. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Yeah, you're correct. And like, that's pretty much the only thing I'm bitching about because I'm excited about going on vacation. Well, and yeah. when I get back, I'm going to New Orleans. They vacation. Nice. Yeah, it's our first vacation since uh, 2009. We just don't do vacation. We'll maybe go spend a night someplace, but we just don't do vacations very often. This will be the fourth vacation in the entire time we've been together. We'll go, go have some etouffee and some, what do you call those sweet things, those be- beignets or beignets uh, for me? Beignets. Ben- beignets. Go, go get that shit for me and eat that shit, and I'll, th- I'll think about it, okay? <laughs> and I'm just I'm really excited about that. I'm also very excited when we get back. We are going to be adopting a puppy. Yay! New dog. And that's going to be pretty awesome. You guys saw the picture. He's a little 10-month-old pit bull. High-energy puppy. That's going to be just what I need. Cool. And, yeah, that's pretty much... I, I, I only wanted to bitch about the line ride, and I'm happy about my vacation and a puppy. Right on, right on. Yay. Yay. All right, let's go for it, girl. Oh, let's see. So... Um, I don't think I have much of a bitch. I think just uh, grateful that things are moving along with um, an issue my dad is having. And um, things got a little hairy last weekend, but uh, everything is good now. And hopefully once uh, procedures and surgeries are done, everything will be back to normal. So that's my thing. I'm just happy. I'm, uh, I'm happy for you. That was a... Uh... I'm happy for you too. Was it pneumonia? And, no, it's 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 really weird. He caught meningitis in 2015, mm-hmm. I believe. And um, being that he's a um, a uh, kidney transplant patient, he they have to be real careful of what kind of antibiotics they get him because they don't want his body to reject the kidney. So um, they had him on some antibiotics and they thought it was all gone, but apparently. <clears throat> he started a fungus in one of his in, on his right lung, and it's created cavities. So he's having issues with that, and um, they're gonna have to cut the upper lobe off of his right lung. So that's oh. what we're waiting for. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, that's kind of sucks. Oh man, yeah, I, I have. I'm laughing, but it's, it's not a funny situation. No, it, it, well, you know, if you think about no, it, it's, 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 it's kind of... something else, yeah, I'm thinking about, trust me. No, but it, it's, what, what's nice is that we've got really good doctors, and it's it's looking good, so... That's good. Going and getting there. So I'm just grateful that everything's just lining up for the surgery, and hopefully it'll get done soon. That's great. I'm glad everything's going okay. They know what's, <gasps> what's, what's wrong. And one more so thing! Go for it. I'm going to be a grandma again. you be grandma again, yeah. <laughs> Yay! I'm so excited. My son and his wife, um, they're four weeks right now, so they're not telling too many people, but I'm so excited. <laughs> so that, that's my two happies. Really, really excited. No beefies. Really excited for you with that grandbaby. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Dad doing good. Yeah. Um, my, my beef is... Uh, <laughs> It's you know this it's happening again and I'm glad I'm glad school's almost out because I gotta hear about this stuff on the news anymore and yeah genocide's terrible any 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 way you swing it but you know people can shop in schools is 
it's what is children, you know, that they they make a big thing about it, and and they should. I'm not I'm not I'm not belittling, belittling school shootings, but you know, places like where Suzanne lives, I mean, me and Suzanne live, and places like like Detroit, you know, you know, not really destitute places, but places where violence happens often. They're they're not really showcasing news like these these school shootings, to where you know it gets sixty degrees outside in Chicagoland, and all of a sudden. Little little hoodlums are robbing little old ladies on Michigan Avenue, and you know, and yeah. shit like that, and shooting up people at gas stations and on the street, and you know, the, you keep waiting for that death toll to, to, to show how many got shot this weekend in Chicago. You're waiting to see yeah, it. Well, and it's. And do you remember? Ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Finish up. No, go ahead. Um, like I said, and you're right. A lot of it isn't publicized because the little mall that I go to down the road, Pat and I went shopping one morning it was everything was like right after christmas and uh the entrance we went in we were sitting over at this restaurant by the mall and all of a sudden cops are going by get home and find out someone was walking out the door of that mall the same place we walked out of and got shots that same day a few hours after we left and I'm right in the middle of Cemetery Central, and there's a lot of the gang funerals and uh, around here. And it's nothing for them to stick the guns out the windows and just start shooting up, it, shooting off into the air. They, they have no that re- happens. They have no respect for, least, for the mothers or nothing like that of the kids that got shot. Nothing like that. No, and it happens. I would say at least once a week, if not more. Right down the road from where I live. Again, I'm not. We're not belittling tragedy, me or Suzanne at all. It's just the thing that gets me is that no, nobody talks about that other kind of devastation that that happens all the time, and it just it really bothers me that just because they're they're children, and of course they have to overanalyze everything. Well, of course. This this last one, they said the administration fucked with them all the time. And that's that's the administration fucking with this kid all the time. Well, you can just you can look at a kid now when they reveal the picture hours later, a day later, you can tell, hey, that that kid was fucked with every day of his life probably. So I, I was always taught, you know, because I, I was sometimes the crazy kid in the corner, not not to mess with the crazy kid in the corner. He he might be psychotic, you know. Maybe you should just leave that kid alone. But no, kids are kids are cruel now. Kids are assholes. Yeah, now they have fucking social media to to fuck up people with now and. I think it, it's a useful tool, you know, for for what I do with the podcast, and for some other things, you know, I share something positive to to the friends on your timeline or whatnot. That's good, but this gives people free range to fuck with somebody like we weren't able to do. Not this sounds like I really wanted to do this back in the day, like we didn't have the ability to do back when we were in school, and you know, you can't stop it. You can say the administrators can say, oh. You know, don't you keep, you did this, and you did this on social media, and my, my buddy lost his job because his mother was, like, crusading for him to keep his job on social media. That was basically what was the coup de grace. But, um, again, <clears throat> negativity <coughs> breeds these people breeding. I mean, it, it goes back to trading places. You know, I did the whole idea of your environment shaping the way you are. If, you, if, you, if your father's an alcoholic and your mother's working two jobs... Odds are you're going to be a shitty kid, and that's that's not that's not anybody's fault as far as like you know society's fault because they're not really looking out for you either. But at the same time, you're just one of those people that they get through get, get sucked into the to the to the to the greats there of of of, uh, 
obscurity and and you know all that all that nasty stuff and the, these kids are just they run around lawless because I I'm sorry, I mean Iris, you're 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 uh, altered lifestyle a lesbian, you know I, mm -hmm. I I'm not saying it has to be a man and a man, but somebody has I mean a man and a woman, but somebody has to be there to be that kind of role model for that kid, or they're gonna be a shitty kid or a lost kid or or whatever and. No, I, I totally agree. Basically, it's not, it's not like role model. What it is is you, you just have to be a decent fucking human being. It just, just recently, a friend of mine put up a post. Um, his three-year-old, was uh, his wife was not feeling well, and he had to go to work, and they have a three-year-old. So um, as he's on the phone talking to his wife, he can hear his three-year-old bring his mom some pretend soup and told her it has an extra carrot in there because she likes carrots. Aww. completely cute right but you know but i you know and on the post i returned you know children mimic the adults around them and i told them you're a good man you're a good husband therefore the son is going to mimic his father so it, it's really not um being able to have a, a father or mother i think it's more of showing kids that you just need to be a decent human being you need to be caring and you need to be compassionate and really right now, I think what a lot of adults are showing children because of how we treat each other as adults <clears throat> is to be complete assholes. And, and all they're doing is mimicking what they see the adults around them do. Yeah, there's that. And please, please take the fucking phones away. They don't need them at fucking four years old and make them go outside, go play. Because you know what? Yeah. If they're lazy in the house and they're just, they got their face buried in a screen, you know, they're going to turn into little narcissistic assholes and not be social and just go yeah, That's another thing. Yeah. Kids don't have social skills. They have absolutely no, they no don't. social skills. Oh, hell, I know 20-year-olds that have absolutely no social skills. Yeah, they, they would rather stare at their phone than talk to a person because they're more, com mm -hmm. they're more comfortable that way. And, you know, granted... If you're an introvert, yes, that is comfort for you. You like being by yourself because you're comfortable with yourself. But there's also this thing that, you, I mean, we're people were created to be around other people. That That's just how we are. So when you start taking that out, I think it, it, it just starts screwing with your, your head and, and basically your soul. I mean, look at the people that get thrown into solitaire for uh, long periods of time. They go crazy. So, yeah, I think it's just a lot of kids are just mimicking what they're seeing their adults do. And if they see adults thinking that it's okay to bash somebody because they have a different opinion or they look different or they're not this or they or they are that, they're going to do the same. And then this whatever person, now I'm not saying I'm victim blaming because I'm not. Oh, whatever. But... Um, there is a fine line between, and of course, this other kid not having social skills doesn't understand that because somebody teases you, you know, ignore them. Um, you don't take a gun and a would-be bomb to school, you know? I mean, that's just not how you handle things. That's another thing. Kids are not taught how to resolve conflict. Because right. as adults, we don't do it, you know? As adults, what we do is we, we'll yell at the person that doesn't have the same opinion we, we do when we call them assholes and stupid and that they should die. 
So what is a kid going to think? And, and one more thing, please. Please, news media, I know you're not going to do this because you, you guys love fucking misery. Please, it please, bleeds, it leads. Please, please stop announcing what kind of guns that these kids use to kill people. Because I'll tell you right now, the, the sale on the AR-15 is up. Every school shooting that happens, every terrorist attack that happens... Oh, they use the AR-15, they use this, use that. Stop announcing what fucking guns they use. Because I, I, I don't think that anybody knew what a Tech 9 was before gangster rap started to start rapping about it. You know, so... And it's to say, these are the same people that put that parental advisory sticker on the records to say they're, they're breeding violence. No, motherfuckers, you're breeding violence too by describing what guns that they can use to kill people. If they don't know the names of these guns, if they, 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 your average Joe or average kid doesn't know know what they're looking for, they're not going to go looking for it. You know, and then that, that's... It's, it, it sounds crazy, but, you know, people don't... Oh, take the guns, take the guns. No, the, the stock on those, on those guns is at an all-time high. I can guarantee it. They're not going to announce that in the paper. They're going to announce that Cabela's is, gonna, is his has stopped their their um their relationship with Mossberg shotguns and you know yada yada yada. They're not doing anything about the, the sale of guns to where I can go buy something that could take take somebody's head off in one shot, but I can't leave the store with a little with a little thirty eight or something because that takes background checks and waiting periods and you know. But what what does the most damage here? I think it's the the, the the guns themselves and the the, the media who who just who describes the guns and what they can do. I mean, because don't get me wrong, I know there's people out there that have knowledge of guns and they they know you know the caliber and yada yada yada. But there's a lot of people out there who mimic you know what they've seen. You know, I mean, this this is why the AK-47 became one of the big the most popular rifles in the 1990s. It's because they've seen it in the media. They see, they heard the rappers singing about AKs, yada yada yada. They became popularized by the media and the people that you know that that, that put that that name out there. So stop. Well, it's not st- stop infecting it. Basically, it's really it's really annoying after a while. Well, it's not only that, Gary, but you know, then you have the no. I, I'm for for responsible gun ownership oh, yeah. because yeah you know I, I don't care if you own a gun or not just don't point it in my face it's basically what the way i believe I've, I've, but i've been friends with... that, that, that have gotten rifles at like eight years old that learn to to respect and and use that rifle correctly to where but you know i'm not saying oh if they get a target they're gonna hit it but at the same time they they know you know the the the, the devastation that it can do and that's uh that's, i grew that's important to know you know yeah, but I grew up see... in a house full of guns. With my dad was a hunter. My dad enjoyed collecting antique rifles, and yeah, I fear of my dad. I would never even lay a finger on one of those guns unless <laughs> exactly. I was supervised. Right? My dad got me a twenty-two for my thirteenth birthday. Yeah, my daughter has a twenty-two that she carries uh, because uh, she works uh, part-time at a tattoo shop, and. Um, there are nights where she may be by herself and, you know, she needs to protect herself, especially in the area that the shop is at. But my point, what I, my point that I was trying to make was that sometimes when, um, like, let's say with the IR-15, another reason from what I have read and seen and, and done a little bit of research also, a lot of these guns, same thing with the AK-47 uh, about 10 years ago, is that 
people are so scared that these guns are going to be taken away from them yeah. that they go and buy them. Those people. So <laughs> when, you know, the time comes that the government is going to come over and take your guns away, which will never happen because, oh my God, it would cost so much money and it would just be too difficult. Um, yeah, you know, they're, they're scared, so they're going to go get all these guns while they can because someday they might not be able to have them. I mean, I, I, I like his music, but I don't like his politics, but when oh, the Obama administration told Ted Nugent they're going to come on his property and get him, I just laugh so hard because t I know that Ted Nugent has built a, a hunting complex around his house that is built for hunting and killing things, so... <laughs> If anybody came on his property, I'd imagine he'd be out there with that bow and arrow and a loincloth just fucking taking out people left and right. You know? <laughs> That'd be interesting. But I, I, I agree with responsible gun ownership. Like yeah. I said, I, I was raised with it, but <laughs> I just can't believe how easy it is for people to get their hands on these. Well, some of them. Because if I want to get my um, SECY 9mm... I have to wait six weeks, and then I also have to wait an additional six weeks to get my concealed weapons permit. So, yeah. but you know, if I wanted to go buy an AR-15, I could just walk in there with the money and walk out. Yeah, that's that's a uh, strange. But you know, it 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 really has to depend on lock that shit up. You know, <laughs> if you don't want kids to get it, lock it up. Oh, my dad never. My dad never locked up any of the guns because I knew better. Oh, you see, you knew better, but a lot of these kids, uh, some, some, most, most children now, grow up with a, a sense of entitlement. Yeah. So they don't fear their parents. Their parents fear them. Yeah, I mean, this didn't happen when we were growing up because, once again, you just nailed it. Right, we were scared of our parents. <laughs> exactly, we were scared you know, that, what and you, to happen to us. You were going to get your ass whooped yeah. if you stepped out of line, and it didn't matter. But now everybody's child is their special little snowflake. I'll tell you, my, my, who can my, do no wrong whatsoever, and there's just no fear and there's no discipline anymore. My favorite thing to do, and this this is going to sound really sadistic as a human being, is to uh, go into a Target around Christmas time. And just sit in like the food area where the pretzels are and stuff, or did the hot pretzels and stuff. And just watch the look of disappointment on those kids' faces when they don't get what they want. It's just you know, it, it, it sort of gives me a, a, a sense of sadistic joy because when <laughs> I, <laughs> you're an asshole, man. When, when I was a kid, we, I love you. We weren't allowed to go shopping with our parents for for Christmas because you got what you got, and that was it. <laughs> These kids, oh god, these, these kids, nothing funnier than that temper tantrum. These kids will never enjoy the the, the have the joys of a welfare Christmas like Everclear said all those years ago. It, it's true, you know, and uh, yeah, terrible, fucked up children. And uh, <laughs> odds are it's your fault, parents. But uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying it's all your all bad parents, but there's some really shitty, fucked up ones out there that. You just want to beat their kids for them, and but that would be frowned upon these days. <laughs> I don't know. I think spanking needs to make a comeback. Whereas if I went to my friend's house and I started acting fool over there, my, my my friend's parents had full disclosure to beat my ass. So there you go. You know? Exactly. It's like, well, what is he? Yeah. Well, what has he done? Oh yeah, well, he's gonna get worse when he gets home. Like okay, you know. <laughs> yeah, there yeah, was it's always. Like there was always that like that mom in the summer. There was always like that mom in the neighborhood that 
when she stepped out, everybody like straightened up because you know that she'd be on the phone seconds if she saw you stepping out of line or doing something stupid to your parent. You just oh, yeah. knew it. So, but you know that was like like that was the culture back then. You know, nobody. Um, and nowadays, if you tell a parent like um, you know your kid's kind of like a little out of line, you could get sued oh, for damages or something. I mean, shit. <laughs> so yeah. yeah Society has changed quite a bit, and I think, and but you know, I think if um, we were talking to people that were maybe our age in the 40s and 50s, they would think that we have, you know, our generation was probably one of the worst generations in the world. So I know it gets progressively worse. So I'm kind of scared to see what's going to happen when my grandkid is a dad. I, th- I think eventually they'll just, they'll just all start eating each other on the playground. Not not to the zombie range, but like, you know what? You stole my ball. Let me take a pound of flesh from you. You know, it's a... Something. <laughs> man, well, man. This cartoon, and I, this just pretty much sums up the entire generation. It was, a you know, two parents, their kid, and the teacher at a parent-teacher conference. Did you fear those as much as I did when you were a kid? And... The teacher told them, it's like, well, his grades are not as good as they should be. And the parents are sitting there. It's like, you need to bring your grades up. You can do so much better than that. And it shows the flip side of now. And the, t- the parents are yelling at the teachers. Like, you're not doing a good enough job. You need to do a better job. It's your fault that his grades are falling. Yeah, that would have never happened in, in, in my, yeah, my world. <laughs> when I was a kid, it would be like, um, uh, well, oh, yeah. you what are you, you doing wrong? You know, yeah, you don't get you lose privileges until your grades come up. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So that, that'll be a whole nother conversation about underpaid teachers and how they're giving less of a less of a fuck because of it. It's just, you know, that'll be a whole nother beef. Yeah, and I think that is a travesty. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, like like that freaking commercial that's on now. The, the lady's a teacher, and she goes home on the bus, and she feeds her kids, and she doesn't eat because she doesn't make enough money to be able to feed all of them. That's fucked up, man. That is really fucked up. It, it's uh, poverty in America. That's some Great Depression it's, shit right there. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's the, it's we're, we're the working poor. I know. I mean, these are the people who who we we give our kids. Their future is in the uh, is is in their hands. Our kids' future is in their hands, and we should treat them as heroes, not second class citizens. Exactly. Oh man, that was a long one. You must thought you guys listened to Psycho Semanticast or something, guys. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I, I I apologize, but not really. I I apologize, but I don't apologize. <laughs> is that one of those sorry not sorry? <laughs> so, little sorry, but not sorry things. Yes. Again, I didn't go to college, people. I just, I just, I just think about things a lot. Okay, um, but tonight we're gonna talk about uh, it's the makeup show, C- kind of like Let's Play Two kind of thing in, in in every sense of the word with this show. And uh, since Andrew and Matt couldn't join us because of scheduling conflicts, we gotta do something else. Uh, <laughs> a a, a, a p- pitcher and catcher show, if you will, but not uh, in in the the way well whatever you're into. But this refers to, <laughs> this, this refers to baseball. <laughs> to, to, yeah, uh, that's going to have to be the title of the show: pitchers and catchers. No, not like that. <laughs> I referred to the to, to America's greatest pastime, supposedly. 
I'm, I'm kind of down on baseball, but I enjoy baseball movies. And uh, we're going to dive into um, Bang the Drum Slowly, which is a Robert De Niro and Mike, Michael Moriarty uh, f picture. And uh, for the love of the game, where your, your pitcher and catcher is... Uh, <laughs> I can't say it all that long like that, too. Kevin Costner and, and John C. Riley with a, a bitchy Kelly Preston chaser. <laughs> we're going to get into... Uh, Bang the drum slowly right after this. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well, then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod or email them at vdclinicpod at gmail.com They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. Friends. What's a friend for but to share a dream? To fight together for the joy of victory. You get to be a big league player, and new worlds open up for you. There's this airline stewardess. Her name is what? Mary. Mary what? Smith, Jones, Brown. Mary Pistolaglione. And you get to share things with your teammates. She'll give it to the whole club. She'll run right around my infield. Take down your pants. You don't know how to play tech war? T-E-G-W-A-R. Stands for the exciting game without any rules. That's the first natural banjo that's since the days of Joe DiMaggio in St. Petersburg. <laughs> hey, wait a minute, we're 15, 15, 31. What's the name of this game? 15 plus 15 is 32. 32. Oh, that's right. That's a double honeybees. Friends, to care enough for someone to risk your future because you're afraid he's got none. There must be a clause saying that I and Bruce Pearson will stay with a club together or else go together. Whatever happens to one must happen to the other. Trade it, sold, whatever. I'm scared. Hold on to me. You know about the condition of my son. Yes, sir. How, how can he be so sick and play so well? Two people whose lives become so intertwined that no one can tell where one ends and the other begins. Friends. Bang the Drum Slowly is the story of two friends, a rollicking baseball team, a pennant race, the roar of the crowd, and the quiet dignity of the human spirit.
Bang the Drum Slowly from 1973. Uh, your cheapo plot synopsis is this. The story of the friendship between a star pitcher, wise to the world, and his half-wood catcher as they cope with the catcher's terminal illness through the base to a baseball season. Uh, this stars um, the two guys I talked to you about earlier, uh, Robert De Niro and Michael Moriarty. Uh, Vincent Gardini is also in this movie. Uh, Danny Aiello shows up in this movie. And some woman that resembles Faye Dunaway, but is not Faye Dunaway, shows up in this movie. I think this is one right here. <laughs> but, um, we'll, we'll talk about her later on. But I'm going to kick it to Suzanne first. And, uh, God, this movie, it's, it's, it's about as bad as Brian's song for me. Uh, Suzanne, tell us about it, girl. Okay. Um, I was expecting the level of Brian's song, Tears, out of me. But it's, you know... You from the start of the movie and the I mean the opening scene, they're walking out of the Mayo Clinic. You find out he's going to die. And, yes, and then he goes to Georgia and spends the time with his parents. And his dad knows something is up from the very beginning, but you know he just wants to he just wants to play baseball, and he was going to get cut. Michael Morardi is like, no, I'll 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 take it, but you know, clause in my contract, he he stays. And for me, it's like it's that that friendship. Well, you know, when you got even though they're, you, you know, and I know anybody who who follows baseball, yet the veteran pitcher, you know, they have their catcher, and that that's yes when they pitch, that's the guy not who's catching so the ball. much anymore. But back then, yeah, you did every pitcher had his own catcher. But I I liked the friendship a lot. I just I sometimes. I felt that he protected him a little bit too much oh, sometimes. Yeah. And then he told somebody who told somebody else. So all of a sudden, everybody knows that he's dying. And the way that the team just rallied around him and he had an amazing season. I, I uh, appreciated that. And it didn't seem forced. And then when they were singing, oh, my God, what song were they singing? Oh, I was getting sad, oh, my, I was getting sad man. That was it, the the hippie cowboy was singing the song in the locker room, man. <laughs> and I did, I'm just like, I could feel that. I could feel that, like, you know, that knot you get in your throat. I'm like, I'm not crying. Not going to do it. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the buddy vibe. I really, I, I just, I liked it. It was a great little movie. I was really surprised that it has such low ratings. Never made a bad movie in his career. We're not talking about Costner, dear. Go away. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. I guess my husband felt That's the okay. need to interject there. That's okay. Pack and shine on whatever he wants to. It's okay. <laughs> but the, I, I, I really was surprised that I did not cry as much as I did during this movie. I, I think I just I got swept up in the moments of the movie and not dwelling on the sickness, which Brian Song did famously. You are you it's in your face the entire time through every interaction. And it's it's not really the case in this one. But and even the ending with the funeral, I know I am flipping through this movie in like five minutes tops. I was I I a few tears slipped because he was the only one from the team that was there. And I found that to be, I think, the saddest point of the whole movie. I don't, I mean, I may end up, if I, if I catch this movie on, I'll probably end up watching it again. 
But I don't know if I'll watch it again, you know, on purpose. Mm-hmm. But I did. I really, like I said, I enjoy, I like the friendship and I like the moments of the friendship in the movie and the fact, you know, that he, he, he was always there when he was, when he was having his moments, when he was getting sicker and sicker and Michael Moriarty was always there, always ready to get a doctor or just be there as his friend. I, I that's about all I have to say about it. All right. Iris. Well, it's kind of like uh, Suzanne said. This song, this this movie is basically about friendship, and um, and compassion, because that's basically what this is. Uh, his friend was, which was Moriarty, was trying to basically keep a secret, because he didn't want his his bud to just be taken out. And I think he was not only just a friend, but he was also kind of like a mentor. Because at one point, he's like, "Look," he goes. I know you don't keep a book on anyone, he says, but, you know, you have to be smart. You have to be confident. He goes, and, and he goes, it doesn't matter how smart you are if you're not confident. So you have to have that confidence. So it, it was also kind of like a, a mentoring type of thing, like, you know, an older guy to a younger kid and or it just kind of like man to man, just teaching him how to be, you know, how to be that that regal person that that he should be i mean you know he's part of a ball club he should be happy about that and you can see the compassion as you know it, it look uh, michael moriarty is the guy who's who's narrating this story and you know he says that you know the the mammoths were doing had a good season and the only thing that was um the only thing that was their enemy or what might cause them to fall were themselves because they ribbed each other so bad and, and they, they just didn't have this team spirit. But when they all rallied around uh, De Niro's character, um, it seems like they the compassion just comes in and they start winning. They start, you know, being like a team. And sorry about the dog. That's okay, um, That's okay. Don't worry about You'll it. You're mine too, trust me. <laughs> so, um, oh, hold on, let me see if I can get. Okay, yeah, he's not even near. Um, but yeah, so y- you can see all this, and I think that's what makes this movie just so, so heartwarming and so beautiful. Because when he does end up dying, it's your real friends that are there for you, and that was one thing that um, Henry Wiggin, which was Michael Moriarty's uh, character, says that you know he was one of six pallbearers for him. And the team never sent anybody, and you know nobody else from the team showed up. And then he says somebody should have been here. So uh, I, I really enjoyed the movie, and I think it, it, it's. I did not know that this was a um, De Niro movie, uh, or else I would have seen it a lot sooner. But I'm I'm glad I did get a chance to see it. Cool. Yeah, me myself. Uh, this is a film that I, I've heard of before, but <clears throat> they've talked about at least fifty times on Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal podcast, and. I figured I better I better watch this and you know and I I figure what a perfect time to do this and since we had this fill in show and you know this this makeup game if you will see it works real well see <laughs> um to watch it and I gotta say Gilbert and Frank go fuck yourself man because I I got the feels through most of this movie you know because like Suzanne said right from the jump you know Robert De Niro's gonna die he he's uh I I think it's lymphoma cancer if I'm not mistaken because. You can see, I think it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. And you can you can see yeah. the one scene where the doctor's playing with that area when he's the one of the, the times where he he's out and 
And um, uh, th this film plays that relationship real well between the these two players, these two friends, where, you know, Moriarty's character literally goes to bat because no, nobody wants him at this point. Nobody wants Robert De Niro's uh, character at this point. And they... they um, they they they, they want to get rid of him. They want to pay him. They want to lowball him with the pay. So and basically, he he makes that clause that, that unheard of clause that wherever I go, he goes. Just I think just for the fact that he knew that his friend was on the outs and he wanted to keep an eye on him and, and have him stay there and have that one last time to shine. <clears throat> but you didn't get that right away because he was on the bench quite a bit during the first part of this movie. And but you got it later when you found out, you know. And and one thing you guys they talk about was was Vincent Gardenia is is the their manager in this movie. And <laughs> Mr. Bushdick is is a dick, but he's not a dick in this movie because he just really he's wants, just doing his job. He just really wants to find out what's going on, so he's playing like the interrogation game with them to to really find out what's going on with these people. And yeah, I always thought that was like the lighthearted moments of the movie. When he's like, there's something going on here. I'm going to start bringing people in here and I'm going to talk to them. Yeah. Okay, and why were you here? What were you doing there? You don't go fishing there. It's all, what, ice fishing? I was I was laughing my ass off through the, his his chats with people. Yeah. It was just a locker room. People talk in the locker room and eventually, you know, <laughs> that's what happened. They told one guy and then they told everybody in the locker room. They eventually found out and... I think one of the really great things about this is this is one of those let's give them one last show thing because they were sucking in the first part of the season, but once once they they let him play and he was playing probably the best baseball he ever had, but even though he was dying, he got to have that that wonderful season that you know that you would want to go out on literally because like you like uh, Suzanne said that, that the funeral at the end is is the end scene of this movie he's he's dead at this point and um. I, I love his his attitude throughout this whole thing. I mean, you, you, except for the fact that the the whore girlfriend that was always hanging around knows he's dying and is looking for his his life insurance money. And yeah. his friend's like, "I oh, shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that." You know, think it's one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You know, and one thing about I think this is in every movie. You you get some good Moriarty in this movie. He's he's that classic. He's got the, he's got that Moriarty swagger. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's being a smartass without being a smartass, and you know, bitching about his friend but loving his friend because the whole thing was when they were going through those negotiations, like you don't even like this guy. All you did was bitch about when he pissed in the sink or his disgusting tobacco and you know all this stuff. And but at the same time, that that was his brother. You know, just like I consider you know most people I podcast with my brother, and I would I would go to bat for 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 any of them because. As long as they know they have good character, which is I, which is everybody I've recorded with. So, but this is a uh, God when when he's when he's when he's on the outs. One thing I'm glad they didn't do was that they didn't have that long, that long him being in a hospital, you know, montage. Thing. Yeah, because it didn't need that. That's why this movie's 90 minutes because it didn't have that 20 minutes. You know, he's dying thing. You know, I need it in Tombstone. I don't need it in this movie. Because you're told right from jump that he, that he's that he's that he's dying. So it's it's it, it, the film, the writing, the writer wrote the book, wrote the film. They they the and the actors they give you enough respect to to say you know let's let's let him have this this wonder season to eventually he's not going to be around anymore and he could have this this happy memory you know 
and uh, I think I think it worked out, you know, for him in in the long run. So, because he's pretty much jaunty this whole film, and I think uh, it's, a, it's a great film. And I think everybody should 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 watch it if you're if you're you're a sports fan or not a sports fan. You know, just I love that that minor league swagger in films like this, and uh, it gave me the feels. So like I said, fuck you, Gilbert and Frank. It's really yeah, it's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair sometimes. You know? <laughs> But, um, I'll kick it to Suzanne and ask her anything else you should like to say about the film and what is her rating 1 to 10? Uh, it's it's a great buddy baseball movie. I, I I truly enjoyed it. I don't know if I catch it on, if I'll watch again. If I don't, I probably won't. But, yeah, I, this it, this one is really hard for me to rate. But I just, I, I enjoyed it. I've got to at least go with a 7.5. I feel like it should be higher, but there are just uh, some things that took me out of it a little bit. Actually, no, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to go with a straight up eight. It, it was, it was a solid eight. Fair enough. And my silence was, it was not purposeful. And I, <laughs> I, my mute button was on, but, um, Iris, uh, what about you, girl? Um, I, I really enjoyed the movie and I, I liked the, the friendship and the, like I said, like that mentoring compassion type of thing. I like those kind of movies. So I'm going to go with Suzanne. I'm going to give this an eight. Cool. Uh, I want to read some some fun facts because there's some good stuff on the IMDb about this. Where are we at here? Dang it. But um, yeah, I'll uh, do my schmiel, then I'll do, do the trivia. Yeah, good film. This this film. Films like this sucker me in with the... With, uh, the, 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 the touchy-feely. Not, it didn't really do that, though. And, it, and I kind of like that it didn't patronize you for that. Like, go for the full-on touchy-feely. Because if, if you did, you'd have that hospital montage. But, um... It, it, it's a, it's a, one of those touchy-feely sports ball movies that, that didn't didn't uh, didn't patronize me. And I could love that. I could love it for that. Great chemistry between De Niro and Moriarty is all you needed in this movie. Because those are your two focus characters. <clears throat> um... But the fun, fun facts about this film, uh, to prepare for his role, Robert De Niro went to Florida to watch the baseball teams in spring training, then traveled to Georgia to tape-recorded conversations to study the, uh, the southern accents. So he kind of went for there a little bit, huh? Uh, the original lead role uh, was supposed to be played by Al Pacino, but um, uh, this is right around the same time he made The Godfather, and Coppola wanted Pacino to play Michael Corleone, so yeah, there's that. Uh, da, 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 da. The stadium used for the fictional New York Mammoths home games were, was Shea Stadium, which from 1964 to 2000... Oh. Yeah, you don't like Shea? I know you're not a Mets fan, but that's so they played. Uh, uh, minor League Yankee Ball Club playing at Shea Stadium. I know that really takes the movie down for Suzanne. <laughs> <laughs> oh, womp, womp, womp. I'm horrible. <laughs> oh... But yeah, oh, here we go. This will make Suzanne feel better. Though the uniforms appear to be Yankee uniforms, they're actually for the New York Mammoths, which were an actual team. So, there you go. They weren't Yankees, Suzanne, okay? So you can feel a little better about them playing in Shea. Okay. But yeah, this film, still... yes. I'm, I'm going to go with that 8, because this is the first time I've seen it. I'm sure if I, if I see it again, it'd be an 8.5 or a 9, because, again, it's, it's, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. And, uh... With that, we're going to go on to uh, 
a more modern film, which is Sam Raimi directed for the love of the game right after this. After 19 years in the big leagues, 40-year-old Billy Chappell has trudged to the mound over 4,000 innings. But tonight, he's pitching against time. He's pitching against the future, against age, against endings. Tonight, he will make the fateful walk to the loneliest spot in the world, the pitching mound at Yankee Stadium, to push the sun back up in the sky and give us one more day of summer. Universal Pictures presents How do you like to be kissed? How does this work, Billy? Little boys buy cards with your picture on they, them. They buy those for the gum.
For love of the game. So are you my mom's boyfriend? I'm not sure. But you slept with her. For love of the game from 1999. Uh, your really short plot synopsis is this: a washed-up pitcher flashes through his career. That's so stupid. I, I don't like that. That synopsis at all. <laughs> it's not accurate. It's not accurate whatsoever. But um, yeah, I'll give I'll give a little one then. This is basically about Kevin Costner who plays a pitcher for the the, the non the, the the very non-fictional Detroit Tigers who's been a Tiger all of his life and is basically being forced to be traded to another team. And uh, the through line is him, uh, his relationship with his catcher, Gus, and then, of course, Kelly Preston's character, Jane, who, uh, throughout the film and through flashbacks, you find out how they fell in love and out of love, and, you know, I don't know. She, she's an odd duck to me. I'm going to kick it to Iris first and ask her what she thought about the movie. Um, I... <laughs> Okay, I'm like like really torn about this movie because all of the baseball stuff, loved it. Completely <laughs> loved it. It was all the bullshit in the middle between of you know, him going back and forth in flashbacks that I just could have went me. <laughs> but uh yeah, it was it was it was an interesting movie. Um the, the relationship between him and Jane I know I could have done with a lot less of that and more of the baseball game and more of baseball flashbacks than um, than romantic flashbacks, but the stuff between him and the kid were were interesting. I liked, I did like those, um, but um, I don't know. It's I like baseball movies, but this was not one of my faves. I'll just say that. Um, yeah, and again, Kevin Costner, I'm 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 not a fan. But he does love his baseball movies, doesn't he? I mean, I think this is, what, his third or fourth baseball movie he's in. Uh, yeah, um, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams. This, this one, one, and there's there's one more. I think so, too. I just can't recall what it is. Well, anyway, um, yeah, it, it was interesting to watch, but I'll, I'll have to say I'm, I'm, that was probably the one and only time I'll be it. I understand that because I'll get into when, when I do my my thoughts about it. But uh, Suzanne, I'm going to ask you uh, what you thought about it. Um, I'm not a Kevin Costner fan. Oh, I'm aware. But but Kevin Costner does good baseball. I, I this is not my first time viewing. This is probably the third time I've watched it. It just seemed to be on at odd hours before DVRs, and it was the only thing about palatable to watch. And I just, I, I, I personally, I, I wanted to see, as Iris said, I wanted more of the, the, the further back stuff in the baseball. You know, I mean, this is, he's basically being forced out. This movie should be about his career from the time he came up, uh, the highlights, the lowlights. But and no, then, they, yeah. decided, they decided to take this five-year span of his relationship with some chick. It didn't make sense. Yeah, I did not like that. I, like I said, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I, if this is about a guy who's having his career flashback before him, really, do you just you're only going back five years? Really? 
and he's not going to be thinking about some chick, especially how he is being that, you know, when he was in that helicopter and he's like the most important, you know, call Mike Udall because he's the most important person in my life right now. Um, so he was all about baseball. So then why was he thinking about this romance at the very last game he's ever going to pitch? Yeah, I think for some reason that Kevin Costner, he, you have to admit, he was he was starting to get on in years. He wasn't your leading man, sexy anymore. And I think he wanted to just try to do something a little bit more on the romantic side to maybe have that that feeling back again, like he was the romantic leading man that he used to be. Just a thought. But it's it's not a terrible movie. It's it's a decent movie. I just I just don't care for the portrayal of his you know the five years of his career. I just I, I don't like that at all. I love Gus. I thought Gus was great. There should have been way more Gus than Jane. Way more Gus for sure. Thank you. <laughs> more Gus. More John C. Riley than anything is good. So it's a. Uh... Oh yeah, it was, John C. Riley's awesome. Wanted way more of him and a lot less Jane. I I did like the interaction with her kid. I just thought it was an aside. I didn't feel like this was an important thing, but I did like it. But, you know, like I said, it's, it's Kevin Costner. It's a baseball movie. It is what it is. And I just can't wait to hear Gary talk about Kelly Preston now. Man, oh, man. That this fucking garbage human, I can't stand her in this fucking movie. This is a woman, you know, who, who, who the, the, the whole setup is, she, her car broke down on the side of the road, and she's this pushy bitch, like, she doesn't need help from a man to fix her car, yada, 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 but he happens to fix her car, and then he, he invites her to the baseball game, and, you know, I guess true love happens, but it doesn't, because she listened to what some box bitches say about, oh, it's this week's blonde, this is the sheeple shit that starts in this movie with this woman. It's like a downward spiral from here. Her just remember that one thing about him, and like there's a point in the film where she she says like two times in the film, I don't want, I don't want to be one of your groupies, and he he basically tells her that you know he doesn't like the he didn't like when she used used it the first time you know and then last time, basically saying that g- girls that he banged down the road were different from this one because he liked this one. But this one wasn't getting it th- that he was actually into her. So this woman is so vapid and so into herself that she could she couldn't find she couldn't uh, find a good thing if it came up and bit her on the snatch. And uh, it, it's you know this guy who who she shouldn't be doting to a woman like this at all because they had this whole arrangement supposedly. Me and um the bird way back when watched Five Hundred Days of Summer. Where in the movie, Zoe Deschanel lays it out right away to, to, to Joseph Gordon-Levitt that she's not looking for a relationship. But the whole film, he's pursuing a relationship with this woman who does not want to be with him. And in the end of the movie, guess what? She still doesn't want to be with him. But the sex was really good, I guess. You know? And this movie, you know, she, she's just hanging around. And then there's a eventually they do kind of get together and they're, they're a couple... But then something terrible happens to where he gets in an, an accident on it with a saw and it messes up his hand. And then she does this thing. I mean, I, I don't know what, what, what you guys are like, but it, it, Kevin Costner's character in this film 
was somebody who was born into baseball. He was bred for baseball. He was taught by his father that baseball was a good thing. His father played for the Tigers. So then he was going to be a Tiger. So his baseball engulfed his whole life. So when you lose the ability to, to do the only thing you know how to do that you're good at, and you got this fucking Yankee, this fucking wanky-ass fucking bitch just in your face saying, you know, whatever. She's not really saying it, but she's kind of saying it with her eyes, saying, you know you may not have made it go back to this thing again, but he's really trying to go back to, to play baseball again. Whereas in the end, you know, the lead, the, the, these five years you guys are leading up to this final game that eventually, in the end of the movie, he's going to retire. And I really love the, the relationship between... Which you don't see a whole lot... That's the problem with that. You don't see a whole lot of relationship between him and John C. Riley, And you don't get a whole lot of a relationship with him. And the which you find out later on, he sold this... The whole other point of this movie is Brian Cox is the owner of the Detroit Tigers. And him and Billy are really good friends. And he has to break the news to Billy that he sold the team... And that they're going to be forced, the, the, the new owners are forcing Billy out to be traded. And he feels real bad about this. But there's that great point at the end of the movie where he doesn't announce his retirement, but he tells this man who, who's, who's like his mentor in a way, by sending him a baseball, basically announces his, his retirement. And this film ends just like you want it to. You know, where she kind of sticks around. They don't, they don't really show her, show back up. Do, do, I forget. At the end of the movie, does she show up to the baseball stadium? Is it one of those endings? Um, no. Yeah, she, she doesn't show up, so this movie doesn't need that. Because in the end, through all this hand injury stuff and him being on the on the, the, the um, 40 years old and, and being forced to retire, he pitches a no-hitter. And there's a great point in the film where, you know, and, you know, I've heard this from other baseball players that have pitched no hitters to where they make the mistake and they look at the scoreboard and he gives that long glare at the scoreboard. Like, wait, we got nobody on base. They got nobody on base yet. And of course you get that great scene where it comes right after that, where, you know, the meeting of the great meeting at the mound, which you should have had more John C. Riley in this movie for, especially for scenes like this, where he gives them the great talk about, you know, another one of those things, just like in bang the drum slowly where, you know, your, your whole team is behind you, you know, this bitch ain't behind you, but your team's got your back. They're always going to have your back. And eventually he comes to get the no-hitter. And it's a celebratory moment like he wanted this movie. And, you know, where he goes out on top, much like uh, and bang the drum slowly. But, you know, like that's that's the exclamation point in his career. Whereas this woman really didn't define his career, but he's still thinking about her. But this this no-hitter in his, this final game... Where, you know, he's basically, by giving baseball, said, this is all I can do here. I'm done, you know. <laughs> and I thought it was a perfect ending to this, I think, 20 minutes too long movie. But like Iris and, and, and Suzanne said, there was too much Jane in this movie. She's inconsequential. She did the fucking bitch needs to go jump off a cliff somewhere. Not Kelly Preston. Jane the character. I'm sure Kelly Preston's a very lovely woman. But this is a garbage human in this fucking movie. And she needed to die. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll write that petition. Let her die. Let Bobby D live and bang the drum slowly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> She's a terrible fucking human being. But I'm <laughs> I'm done. I'm a kick it to Suzanne. Anything else you have to say about this movie? And what do you give it? One to ten. I forgot to mention how much I adored Brian Cox in this movie. But even when he's a shit, he's great in a movie. He just adds something to a movie. 
Um, there was one other thing I was going to add that I have just completely spaced on, but that's okay. <laughs> well, Ted Raimi, um, Ted Raimi shows up because it's, it's a Sam Raimi film, so. Oh, yeah. A little, a little I, cameo. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's it's Ted in a Sam Raimi movie, so it was pretty much a given. But, you know, it's I'm, I'm sure I've seen worse. I just, this one, and I agree, it's the running time. What, two hours and 15 minutes? Something like that, as long. It's a bit much. It's, it's very bloated. I want to see the less, I want to see the less than Jane cut. Let's, let's do that, okay? (laughs) Yeah, so we should petition for the less than Jane cuts. But yeah, it's like, uh, it's okay. I'm, it's, this is the third time I've watched it, but it's just, like I said, it's, it's got issues. It's bloated. It's probably, even though I watch it, I'm just—I really can't go much higher than a six and a half. Fair enough. Uh, Iris. Um, this was a very meh movie to me. Um, yes, let's let's have a less Jane version of this and more baseball. Uh, so I'm going to give this a five. Fair enough. Um, yeah, less less Jane cut is needed, <laughs> you know. But I think that the the build the. It, if she wasn't there, the build-up to his final game really wouldn't have worked. Although, I would love to see more of his the backstory with... Did he do good in the 84 World Series? Did he not do good in the 84 World Series? I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's kind of it's like... That's, that's, I wanted more flashbacks. This is the Cleveland of, like, like the Escape from New York, you know. <laughs> you want to hear about that Cleveland story that Snake, Snake Plissken had, but you never get to hear about it. You never get to hear about the 84 World Series against the Padres, and that's one of the biggest travesties of this film. But I did like I did like a lot about it, you know. I'll, I'll say one thing. Sam Raimi does Western real good, but he doesn't do Love Story all that good. But the, the baseball stuff was top-notch, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, six and a half out of ten. It, it's not great, but I, I think it's definitely serviceable. Again, make that, that less than Jane cut. It could be a good... Good clean hour forty five, make us all a little bit happier, you know. Fucking bitch! Yep. <laughs> oh my goodness! I did not like her. I, I just kept getting more and more disgusted with her every time she said. And I really hate the scene where they're at the gallery, and she's like, "Did you were you there when I was crying in the bed?" Yada yada yada. I'm like, no, bitch, you caused this. The man was frustrated. Maybe you should have comforted him instead of fucking being a bitch. You know, man, oh man, you know. <laughs> I mean the thing the things I say out of frustration would disgust some people, but then you know <laughs> th- there's always that time after to where you know I- I'll apologize. I'll tell people you know I was in a bad place, or you know I have all this going on, so I didn't mean to take it out on you. You didn't have that gestation period for two people who supposedly love each other, and that was like my biggest my biggest moment of this bitch needs to go jump in the fucking water and die of hypothermia, you know, moment in this film, you know. She's a garbage person. But Godspeed, Kelly Preston. You're married to a fucking psychotic, too, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, is, is she a Scientologist, too? I, I'd imagine she's Scientologist by association. I don't know exactly how that works, really. Oh. Yeah, because the, 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 the two together just don't look like a couple. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, there, there's 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 stories about that about John Travolta's true sexual orientation. Oh yeah, oh god, him and the towel boy. Yeah, 
Cabana Boy something. Whatever, man. But for Love of the Game, decent. I, I recommend you watch it once. O only if you're a true enthusiast. But I I'd say go watch Draft Day instead. You'd have a lot more fun with it. That's a film that went on everybody's radar about freaking Kevin Costner being the... I forget which team he... he which college team he worked Cleveland for. Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns. No, he was... No, it was the Cleveland Browns, okay. and they were... It was obviously a draft day, and they were trying to put a roster together. It's done really well, though. The, them, it is a great movie. Yeah, so. But, you know me, I love sports movies. Mm -hmm. But that's not really a film... That's, that's not really a film about sports, though. It's more about the art of the deal of trying to get sports players, you know? Yeah. And I really liked the way it, it moved. You know, you wouldn't think a movie like that would work. So, Iris, if you haven't seen Draft Day yet, I, I can recommend watching that. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to have to watch that. It's pretty good. But, um, yeah, that's about it for this. And uh, after this, we'll come back and possibly talk about some death and stuff and close out the show. Bad movies. The world is full of them. From low-budget crap fests to downright unwatchable. And only two men are willing to watch them all. So climb in and take your seat. This is Short Bus Cinema. Let's do it. Hey everyone, this is Johnny Krug from Kruger Nation. And this is Rick Morgan from the Helming Power Hour. And we have decided to team up and take you where no one has gone before. We're on a quest to find the world's worst movie, and we're doing it on the bus. Driving through cult classics in every genre to find the holy grail of bad movies. So if you're looking for something different and more fun than you can stand, then climb on in. Short Bus Cinema is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. That's right, yo! Short Bus Cinema. We love to watch the movies you hate. Hey, did you guys ever notice that podcasts talk about the same movies over and over again? Yeah, as much as I love Friday 13th, I don't need another show telling me how good it is. Exactly. Same thing goes for Halloween. It's a great movie, but come on, there's other stuff out there. There should be a show that highlights movies that everyone else seems to skip over. Like, oh, I always wanted to talk about Absentia. And I want someone to cover the room. The Skeleton Key's a good one. Then let's just do one. We can call it The ABCs of Hidden Horror, and we'll go through the alphabet talking about our favorite horror flicks that get ignored. Great idea! I know what my first one's going to be. Join Brian, Dave, and me, Jamie, for the ABCs of Hidden Horror on the Horrorphilia Network, where we might discuss some of your neglected favorites or introduce you to something new. Now, folks, it's that time for that unfortunate time, but we celebrate some folks and what we call the chop... The, the, my fault, I messed it up. The butcher's block, not the chopping block, stupid, right? But <laughs> I almost got my own shit wrong. See, I'm leaving that in, too, because I, I fill my words all the time. But um, one uh, person of note that's not really an actor, he's not really a writer, he's not anything, he's the one that makes the eye candy that makes you want to see the movies. And this guy's been doing did it for seven decades. Uh, his name was Bill Gold. He's the guy that did a lot of art on movie posters since, since the 1940s, including uh, a few films that you may have heard of, uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy, Casablanca, Dial M for Murder, um, Clockwork Orange, the dirty, some of the Dirty Harry posters, 
Goodfellas, The Wild Bunch, Bullet, Fiddler on the Roof, The Exorcist, Funny Girl, Blazing Saddles. I mean, the list goes on and on. He did like 2,000 posters. And uh, this is a... Uh, this is a big deal for me because, you know, any kid going into, like, a video store or anything, you, you go by the box art to, to see if you want to rent something. Odds are you weren't, you weren't picking it up to say, hey, this movie looks looks decent. Let's read what the back says. No. You had guys like you had guys like Bill who, who drew and painted these beautiful things that you, you would see and that made you want to watch the movie and, uh, He's a he's a pretty heavy hitter apparently in that in that, that 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 respect and uh yeah from, from a, a person who of the VHS culture I I, I salute people like that because they helped me watch some good movies and in turn we watched really bad movies too so there you go oh my god Iris anything that you want to say about this guy and is uh the 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 importance of uh beautiful art to, to sell a movie oh yeah I well you know I grew up on in in the video store era where um if that if that cover didn't uh didn't catch your eye you were just gonna walk right past it and there are many stuff that um i just grabbed because the cover art looked fucking amazing and you're thinking oh this movie's gonna be so awesome and you grab it and of course you know sometimes the movie turned out to be shit sometimes it turned out to be pretty good but it was that cover art that always attracted your eye so this guy to be able to to do the art that he did um it, i'm just in awe of of his, the talent and and what he could do because if it weren't for him a lot of people wouldn't just grab some of the movies that he did i mean granted some of them were like box offices in you know in, in the movie theaters but still you know um a generation after like let's say uh kids the age of mine uh when they were little you know it wasn't videos it wasn't the vhs stores but it was the dvd stores you know like blockbuster and that cover art still had to capture your eye so um you know those kids didn't know about these movies in in you know box office movies back when i was a kid so um, some, and sometimes they would grab movies and they're like oh mom look at this and i'm like oh yeah great movie let's take this home <laughs> You know, so yeah, um, it's sad to think that it's it's a dying art. Everything's digital now. You look at the stuff that that that, that uh, Frank Franzetta did. You know, back in the day, you know those great Clint Eastwood covers, and even National Lampoon's Vacation is beautiful. But he did so many so mm -hmm. much great stuff, and it wouldn't it wouldn't have popped out at you if you know if that they didn't do that great art and uh. Yeah, if it was just Chevy Chase's face on the cover of it, you wouldn't have, you would walk right past it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Especially if you weren't a fan. Yeah. But like I said, now, whenever you pass most of it's like uh, some actor's face. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. It's so generic, yes. It's very generic. Yeah, it's ex it, very. Yeah, I miss those days. I love, I mean, and some of those, I mean, The Exorcist. I mean, you even say the name of that movie. I've got that artwork already flashing across my brain. That's how iconic some of those, some of that artwork is. You know, I thought it was just for me. It was part of movies. Was the arts. A lot, a lot of these uh, small film companies, like you know, when Charlie Band was, run, was <laughs> running Empire, they made the poster first to sell the movie to foreign markets. They didn't film a frame. That's yet. Canon. They didn't. They didn't film a frame yet. 
but they they sold the the, the movie based on the poster. And uh, <laughs> and you need a lot of artists to do that with, whether they were good ones or bad ones. But you know, because uh, children, you learn learn from me. Dead Time Stories is not a good movie, but I rented it because the cover art looked pretty cool. But then it, yeah, the Dead Fit, not a great movie, but mm-hmm. the flashing eyes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> that sold it. The the the, the Lineker, the what do you call it? What's the word looking for her? The cover that's the lenticular? Yeah, lenticular cover, you know. I know this one. It, it, it was in a puppy, puppy plastic box, and the head lit up. The the eyes actually, the eyes lit up. Oh, I remember that. Yes. So I'm like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, I'm renting that. What could go wrong with a movie that probably spent more money on the box art than it did the movie? Mm-hmm. Nothing apparently, you know, because <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it still it, it was it was enough to remind me. Oh God, I love that. So I bought a copy from Code Red. Yeah. And, because I'm dumb like that. One <laughs> word well, person to speak of this uh, a real Renaissance man in the Western genre that I that I, I found out because I didn't watch a whole lot of his stuff. I've seen stuff that he's been in, but uh, Clint Howard and Clint Howard, Clint Walker, Clint Howard is still very much alive. People, Clint Walker is. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to jinx that man. He's a, he's a treasure. Clint Walker uh, was 90 years old when he passed, but he uh, was one of those journeymen in the Western genre. Back when they, but that's all there was to watch on TV and in films, apparently, because they had, there must, I think, back in the day, they think they had like fifty Western shows playing on primetime TV all at once, or over the networks. Oh, absolutely. The Bonanza, Rawhide, Bat Masterson, all these shows were all, all playing. I think, and from what I've read, he acted in quite a few of them, and I think his big, biggest claim to fame is his own show, which is called Cheyenne. Again, this is this is somebody who I've probably seen on screen when I was bored sitting next to my father watching this Western stuff that I enjoy much more now as an adult. But back then, uh, you, you couldn't make me watch it. But um, <laughs> you have any? I know I know Suzanne uh, brought him up, so I'm gonna ask her first. She have any fond memories of Mister Mister Clint Walker? Okay, when I was a a small child, and I remember when the television event of Centennial was on, and he was. He was in, I do believe, part of Centennial. But yes, I remember being curled up next to my mom and dad while they watched the entire miniseries. I don't remember jack shit about it. I have to admit, I, I, I pulled it I pulled it up on something and watched, just try to get that whole nostalgia thing. But he also, he did several, you know, TV movies. He killed Ozer, which is a movie that we're talking about doing on the NFW. Oh, yeah. Snow Beast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it just, he was in a little bit of everything. He, you know, I, it was just, I, I just remember him more from the Westerns I watched with my parents and my dad than anything else. But, you know, it's still a passing of, uh, an iconic figure in the Westerns. That was my, that was my mother's milk back in the day when my dad wanted to watch Rawhide. I just went to sleep, you know. Yeah. Although, although I did love for Hab Gun will travel quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Iris, anything about you about this guy? Um. Yeah. I know. I, I kind of grew up watching the westerns too, and it's uh, kind of a bummer to see. It just sucks to see all the people that I used to watch as a kid just slowly passing away because <laughs> it's like it kind of brings you back to the reality of your own morality you know <laughs> well, yeah kelly preston is allowed to live you know <laughs> uh, God, poor kelly. even though she was totally useless 
No, but seriously, you know, it's like I, I'm I'm going to be 50 this year, and, and just to see all of these folks kind of just like slowly pass away, it's kind of like, well, well, that's a bummer, <laughs> you know. And uh, I don't know. It's he, he was a, a good cowboy. Uh, I loved watching these uh, old westerns with uh, my grandpa. Uh, so that's a, it's a fond memory I have with him. So, yeah, that's it's a bummer. Yeah. Like I said, Mother's Milk, man. Put, put me to sleep with my daddy. Man, I, I didn't watch a whole lot of it at all because I just, uh, I wasn't digging it like I am now. I really, I really, I really dig it now, but not, not so much before. But uh, that's about going to wrap this one up. And uh, I'm going to ask Iris to pimp her stuff if she has anything to pimp right now. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, I do, I do, I do. Um, So uh, for Theme Warriors, we just finished our uh, recording and should be up either today or tomorrow. Um, And it was uh, basically unintentional cannibalism. And the movies (laughs) are Silent Green, Parents, uh, Cannibal the Movie, and Survive. So, um, yeah, should be out here pretty soon and um, have fun with it because we surely did. I can kill a helpless animal, tear him with my bare hands. <laughs> That's good stuff, man. <laughs> he wakes up muddy and goes to bed bloody because he's a trapping man. He's a trapping man. <laughs> <laughs> it is so wonderful. But, Suzanne, what you got coming up, girl? Oh, we just put out our, the 250th episode of NFW. We are doing the Demon series. And uh, Demons 2 should be coming out next week. And apparently there's a whole lot of movies that got called Demons 3. Yes. So we'll just have fun with us as we watch these movies that some of us like and some of us don't. Well, they all, they all have good points from what I've seen, but like the, the tops are always going to be Demons 1 and Demons 2. Yeah, we watched uh, Black Demons tonight, and, well, we watched The Ogre last week, and that one just went completely off the rails. That's when we decided, someone decided to start looking into the Urban Dictionary. It was that boring. Some of you are that bored, but the the creature was really cool when you got to see him, so... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there is one scene that just reminded me very much of Inferno. Mm Mm-hmm. That little underwater scene that lasted about 10 seconds. Yeah. Probably the highlight of the movie for me. Cool. Yes. Uh, uh, Demon series. NFW. Yes. Uh, this this show and the two drink minimum commentaries can both be found on uh, legionpodcast.com. We're all, uh, we're some great podcasts or bought but never sold. You know, all that good stuff. <laughs> but, um. Uh, go check out all our social media stuff that Ricky's working so hard to get going on. Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Go uh, go find all those faculties and like us and follow all the people that are going on there. And uh, co-rate and review us on iTunes as well. Because um, if you guys do that, if you rate and review three Legion shows, and you like all of our stuff, and you post it in the Legion group that they did, did, did all this, you can go like, you could rate more than three Legion shows if you like to. We'd all really appreciate that. But you could win a, a brand new uh, Snowball Blue microphone f- for me, and I will send it to you. You guys could, uh, maybe if you guys are a music maker, you guys can make some music on it. Or if you guys want to get your feet wet, God forbid, everybody's got one, go make a podcast and talk about some stuff. And uh, it'd, be, it'd be a nice uh, nice mic for you guys to start with and uh, or, uh, in, improve the equipment that you have already because the podcasters are welcome to enter in this as well. Um, 
coming up next uh, on this particular program is we'll be joined by Ricky and Johnny from the Short Bus Cinema. And we'll be doing two films that have Transylvania in the title and vampires in them, obviously, too. Uh, Transylvania Twist, which is the Jim Minorski movie. And Transylvania 65000, which has a very, very busty and vampiric uh, Gina Davis in it. So I'm, I'm always excited to watch that, for, for just for that, those those scenes there, you know. Got no pants on, don't know scenes sometimes, who knows, we'll see, you know. <laughs> depending if I'm feeling frisky, you know, Gina Davis. God damn. But, <laughs> that's about it for this one. We guys hope, we guys, we guys, we guys, we all thought, we all hope you guys had a good time with us. And I uh, remember always at Cindy Podcast. Um, always remember here at Cindy Fox, I'm fucking up all, I'm tired guys. If you got, if you got beef, we've got the grinder. See you all next time. Bye. Night. Bye bye. Bye. Go away from my window Leave at your own chosen speed I'm not the one you want, babe I'm not the one you need You say you're looking for someone Who's never weak but always strong to protect you and defend you Whether you are right or wrong Someone to open each and every door But it ain't me, babe Now, 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 it ain't me, babe It ain't me you're looking for, babe From the ledge, babe Go lightly on the ground I'm not the one you want, babe I'll only let you down You say you're looking for someone Who'll promise never to part Someone to close his eyes for you Someone to close his heart Someone to die for you and more But it ain't me, babe Now, 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 it ain't me, babe It ain't me you're looking for, babe You say you're looking for someone To pick you up each time you fall To gather flowers constantly And to come each time you call And we'll love you for your life and nothing more But it ain't me, babe Now, 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 it ain't me, babe It ain't me you're looking for, babe.